The scripture comes from the last night in Jesus' life. This is the 17th chapter of John, and this is his prayer. I pray not only for them, but for all those who will come to believe in me through their message, that they may be one as I am in you and you are in me. May they also be one as we are one, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one as as I am in them and you are in me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I was thinking this week about famous last words and famous last requests, and, and uh, sometimes they can tell us a little bit about the, the heart and the character and the desires of the person making them. For example, P.T. Barnum, who was uh, quite the promoter, on the day he died, his last words were recorded, how were the receipts at the garden today? Nathan Hale, according to tradition, though it's not likely this were his last last words, but according to tradition, said as he was about to be hung by uh, the enemy, I regret that I only have but one life to lose for my country. And then Thomas Jefferson, uh, his last words on July the 4th show a sense that he had about history and what he had done and what they had done in the carving of a new nation. His last words were, is it the 4th? And then my personal favorite, Union General John Sedgwick in 1864, as he looked across the line over at the Confederates, he said this as his last words, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... And there it was. Well, what about Jesus? Well, uh, Luke records that Jesus' last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, which is a, a quote from Psalm 37. But John records other things that Jesus also said. From the cross, he took Mary uh, and put Mary with John, his disciple, and he said, Mary, this is your son, and John, this is now your mother. So he was concerned about them getting them together. And then a few hours earlier, in the last speech he would have in front of his 11 remaining disciples, he asked that they would be one and that they would come to complete unity. One of the things we see in Jesus' last requests are his heart. His heart is always to bring people together in him. Or to put it another way that we talk about at our church is he believed in community. That it was very important to him. Uh, over the last few weeks and in the weeks ahead, we're talking about on our 100th anniversary how the, the church has sort of gotten off track, gotten off the ancient paths that God had for us and what we might need to do to get back on the path. And last week we said that really we've sort of twisted Jesus' main message, and his main message was the kingdom of God. And we noted that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else. And now I want to talk to you this morning about how we may have gotten away from his main method his main method by which the kingdom of God would be brought in would be through community. But you would have a right to ask me and say, well, if community is so important to Jesus, why didn't he talk about it as much as he talked about the kingdom of God? And that's a very good question. And the only answer I could offer you this morning would be this. Jesus doesn't talk about community because it is implied. 
that community for Jesus is like air for us. It's something he lived and breathed. It was so much a part of the life of the people in Galilee that he rarely needed to comment upon it unless it was in danger of breaking down. We typically don't go to the physician until about air until we have a problem with our lungs in some way. And so Jesus just knew that that was the environment in which he lived. That's the sea in which he swam and the disciples swam with him. And we can see this just from their history. Jesus was raised in and taught in Galilee. And Galilee was settled uh, very late uh, in, in the history of Israel by people who had been slaves in Babylon. And when they had been enslaved in Babylon, they had started living together in large units that in the Latin word was called insula, but they called it mishpaha. It's, it's where 300, 175, 200, 300, 400 people might live together under one roof, and they would share most everything in common. That's the way they lived their lives. And so when they moved to Galilee, they set up shop the same way. And if you go to Chorazin or Bethsaida or Capernaum, you will see remains of large houses where 175 or 300 people live together. And Jesus even references this when he gets ready to leave his disciples. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. And he's telling them that what you've lived with on earth, that's what it's like in heaven. Lots of lots of rooms for people to be in community with one another. That was the air in which Jesus, uh, that's the air he breathed. And uh, we can even see this, that it passed on to Paul. When Paul is writing to the early Christians, he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when you look in the Greek, it's a plural. It's like Texas, y'all. It's you all are. That Paul knew as well that community was the environment uh, for which we were created. And even the Jews who were commenting on the scripture in Jesus' day knew the same thing. It's interesting when you read some of their works that go from about 200 years before Jesus to about 200 years after. One of their commentaries on the book of Genesis uh, says a couple interesting things. One, it says that when God created the world and everything in it, God said it was good. Only one thing did God say wasn't good. Do you remember that? When the human being was alone, God said, that's not good. And then there's Enoch, a wonderful man apparently in the book of Hebrews says it's by faith that Enoch lived in such a way that God just took him. Enoch never died. God just took him. But it's interesting that the rabbis coming on it in Jesus' day said that that Enoch apparently had a wonderful relationship with God, but since he wasn't related to anybody else, God said, no point in leaving him here. He's not doing me any good. And took him off the planet. So they even showed a sense that we were to be about community. It's the air, I think, that Jesus breathed. Now, the way I like to think of community or define it comes from my friend Scott Hare, who said community is a gathering of people where Jesus is the most valued member. So it's not necessarily your golf foursome, though it could be. It's not necessarily your fraternity or sorority, but it could be if they are gathered around Jesus and his presence is valued there. And Jesus knew that this was the most significant method by which the kingdom of God would advance. It also happens to be the best thing for us in our lives anyway. It's not good for us to be alone. You may remember Robert Putnam, Harvard sociologist, 
uh, book, Bowling Alone, and one of the things he says is that if you join a group this year, you cut your chances of dying in half. If you get in with a group of people this year, you will cut your chances of dying in half, statistically. Then there's another study done by UC Berkeley, and, and I don't remember all the statistics. I just love the summary that uh, a psychologist gave of it. The study was the control, um, there were different groups. The control group exercised faithfully by themselves, and they uh, ate right, and they were compared with a number of groups, including a group that didn't really exercise much, and they didn't eat very healthy either. But they hung around a lot with friends and did a lot of things together. And one of the things that they found was that their quality of life was better than the people who were exercising and dieting so hard on their own. And so I remember the psychologist's uh, summary of this that stuck with me. He said, apparently, it is better to eat Twinkies with friends than eat broccoli alone. There's a certain power in community that's good for our lives. But not surprisingly, it's also good for our spiritual life. When my son asked me last night, Dad, what are you talking about tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about community. And he said, you always talk about community. And I said, you're right. Because without community, I will never be who God made me to be. And you will never reach the heights of the faith that God intends you to reach because it's just too hard to do it alone. Jesus never intended we do it alone. Even in, min- in mission, he sent them out at least two by two. For three years, he had 12 of them live with him. He knew that this faith needed to be done together. And one of the analogies I love is it's like mountain climbing. People don't climb high mountains by themselves or they don't come back. Mountain climbing requires more than one. It requires a community, a group. And climbing the heights of faith to be the person God has called us to be will require us to be in community with each other. Several years ago on vacation, one of my kids was reading a book on the USS Indianapolis. Do you remember that? The Indianapolis, unfortunately, was sunk by uh, Japanese um, uh, torpedoes. And the ship went down, and uh, sharks gathered around the dead and then gathered around the survivors. And what the survivors who made it through this said is that the sharks first went after people who were by themselves, floating alone, away from the group. They were the ones who got picked off. Have you ever been picked off? You, you decided you would diet, but nobody else, in your, nobody else in your house went along with you. You decided you would start an exercise regimen, but nobody joined you. More than likely, you got picked off. You just can't do important things in life alone. We're just not structured that way. And I know so many people in our wonderful congregation who have the best intentions of reading the Bible, praying, being a part of a mission. But by themselves, it's never going to happen. I can just at a distance watch them get picked off one by one. Perhaps the best Christian picture of the Christian life, my friend Scott says, is the Verizon wireless commercial. Remember that? There's one guy on the phone, but hundreds behind him. That's the way our life is meant to look like in faith, that we are all a part of that community together. It's best for us. But not surprisingly, God also has us do that because it's better for others as well. My question would be, how many people in San Antonio are likely just off the street on a Sunday morning to walk through these doors and come into our sanctuary? How many people are likely just to go over to Borders just on a whim and buy a copy of the story, the, the version of the Bible that, uh, that we're doing together? And the answer is not very many. Not very many. 
But how many people will see you at work? How many people will see you in volunteer organizations? How many people will see you with your children or grandchildren? And if they see in you a life lived in support and community and love, they will get a picture of God that they're not going to get any other way. This is why Jesus said, I pray that there'll be one, that there'll, there'll be unity so that the world will know, God, that you love them. How do people know that God is love if they don't see love that we have one for another? One of my favorite stories about this came from a missionary in an African country where it's extremely difficult to be a Christian. And in fact, Christians can often be arrested for rather spurious reasons. And what he said was, what's interesting is the prisoners there love it when a Christian gets arrested. Because when a Christian gets arrested and thrown in prison, the community is so tight that the other Christians will come and bring the prisoner food, clothes, shoes, and they'll see the rest of the prisoners there who aren't Christians, and they'll bring food for them as well. They say, we'd love it when a Christian gets arrested because we all get to eat. That's community. They may not have a scripture. They may not have a sanctuary. But because of that community, they have a picture of God.